Got it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NYC Real Estate Podcast. This is Mark Levine. I'm your host, also one of the owners of EBMG, a property management company based in New York City. Today uh, on the show, we have Josh Thompson of Thompson Exterior Services. Hey, Josh. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So before we get into you, let me just remind everybody that they could email the show. I know it's been a while since we've had a new episode. If you get them served to your phone, but it's nycrealestatepodcast.gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast.gmail.com. If you wanted to check out my company, ebmg.com, um, we manage about 100 co-op and condo buildings in the city and surrounding areas. And Josh, um, I know you're the owner of Thompson Exterior Services. Do you want to give me a little bit of a background on your history, um, how you got into this type of business and anything else that you would like people to know before we get into the nuts and bolts? Um, how do you say it's the life that chose, it's not the life you chose, it's the life that chose me. <laughs> was it a family business? No, no, it was kind of, I mean, there was some family involved, you know, but there was some, you know, family friends of, um, you know, my pops at the, you know, that, that my pops was cool with. And, you know, this is like, I'm starting to come to the age where he's like, probably, you know, getting tired of me asking him for money all the time. Hey, dad, give me a hundred bucks, you know, oh, and yeah. uh, a, a friend, a family friend of ours uh, bought a window washing company at the time. And he was cool with my pops and. I guess one thing led to another. He was like, Hey, I got all this work. I need labor. I need, I need people to work for me. And my dad was like, I got a guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and pretty much I was the, I was the guy's uh, first employee. So you guys do all sorts of building maintenance. Do you want to go through um, what your lead in is for properties on um, general services that you have. And then like, what's the, that's the bulk of your business. And then uh, moving forward from there, like where are the other areas that you've gone into? Well, we market to the masses, I guess, the things that we do very well, right? The things that we do very well is we, you know, we do window cleaning and um, you know, window restoration, uh, we do that very well. We do caulking services very well. Um, we do fall protection, roof anchors, scaffolding maintenance, you know, all that type of stuff. We, uh, we do that and we have teams in place uh, to handle that. Um, you know, those, those are all services that we do very well. Um, on a level with like our more selective, um, you know, clients that we're like a lot closer with, we typically try to take like a, almost like an owner's rep approach to the type of issues that they may be having. Um, for example, um, you know, if, if they need like a, you know, like a roofing project done or like an access project done or, um, you know, punch list glass and glazing, you know, um, we typically, will provide the access means and methods like for like our glazer that we've uh, teamed up with this guy, Russell, who's um, been in the glass and glazing business for like 20 years, you know, but then he lacks access. Right. So right. that partnership between me and him has been like phenomenal. And we've been able to um, really bring glass and glazing to the marketplace. And we've been doing like really, really well with it, you know, just cause, I mean, you have a high rise building, you have all these windows, there's going to be a certain percentage of them that are broken, Yeah, you know, and 
I, I, so I mainly, the majority of the clients that I work with is all, you know, HOA, condo stuff, you know, high end luxury, right? You can't have luxury when, you know, every time it rains, if like the ceiling's leaking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> How often are you doing, like, let's say you have a, a client take any luxury, let's say condo in the city. How often are you coming back to do the windows and cleaning? Is it twice a year? Is it once a year? Like, what are you seeing, generally speaking, on your contract? It all depends. Like, it all depends on what you want. You know, are you trying to be that class A building? Like, you know, the buildings on Billionaire's Row and whatnot. Mm -hmm. you know, they're going uh, twice a year, you know. Right. Um, if you're doing um, kind of more of like a, um, it, it, it depends on your market, you know. It depends on who's like living there, you know. Um, we do some some buildings um, for Graystar. I'm sure you're familiar with Graystar. Mm -hmm. uh, very nice buildings, very nice, you know, like atmosphere and everything like that. Majority of the people that live there are like kind of like the hipster community type of deal, you know, to where maybe window washing twice a year isn't as important. Yeah. As, and, 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 and they, you know, maybe they just do that once a year, you know, so. I can't really make that decision. I can advise on what others are doing, you know, and that's pretty much that's, you know, it's, it's I, all I can do is, is, is help from a, you know, you know, from a standpoint of like, Hey, listen, you're right on the water. Yeah. Probably do it twice a year, you know? Right. Um, a lot of what we do on the, on the facades are the local all 11, FISP yeah. inspections. Oh, yeah. Um, we probably have close to 50 of those buildings that every five years we've covered it in another podcast, what the responsibilities are for the owners and um, for buildings that are taller than six stories. And right now we're in cycle nine. Yep. But I know that you guys um, do inspections, right? Oh. Where you, so what's the role that you take in the inspection? Are you, because I know that when we deal with certain architects, I, I would say probably around five years ago or so is when it really became a, a niche um, process for rigging to go over the building, almost like somebody was mountaineering, you know, like they would go over and rappel down as opposed mm -hmm. to dropping a scaffold, bringing up the scaffold, moving the scaffold, bringing it back down. So the costs and were able yeah. to be kind of shed a little bit because we can tackle a whole envelope in one day as opposed to bringing up and putting down and doing the, I think uh, what I've saw, what I've seen is the price for that entire repelling inspection is so much less than the cost for the rigging of, you know, the scaffold up and down. So what's your role in that? What are, what are, what are you providing? Are you working with the architects and the engineers to do um, that with pretty, them? Yes. Yes. So I'm pretty chummy with a, uh, a lot of the engineering firms. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like Harani and mm. the Falcon guys, and yeah. you know, you know, they they mainly do the inspections. Um, we approach it from really a safety aspect, but also like we want to inspect the building uh, the safest way possible for the best dollar for the client, right? Yeah. Um, we have a lot of our own lifts. So we own like a lot of our own aerial lifts. And so that those are options, you know? Um, yeah. We're actually doing a building inspection right now for Rose Associates out in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and uh, Harani's doing the inspection and we're basically the Uber driver, you know? So, so we're, we're doing that inspection via lift access. Right. Um, 
and we're basically just driving all around, making sure that the engineer, oh, we're doing a probe, you know, so 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 they're drilling in, the guy's sticking his boroscope in or whatever, yeah. so can do that. Um, you know, so that's, um, so lift, uh, you, you got three things. You, you can either go up, you know, via lift access or you can mm -hmm. come down. Now, if the building does have like its own in-house BMU rig or scaffolding system, yeah. I would use that, you know. Yeah. If they don't have that, and it's outside of what a lift could provide, then that's when you get into, do I do temporary rigging, which is going to be, nobody wants to pay six figures just to get their right. building inspected. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, um, so that's when we would say, hey, maybe let's do this via rope access type of deal, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're, we're super on top of that because as I said, we have 50 different buildings broken up between the three sub cycles. Um, yeah. So this is a constant for us and for any I, other management imagine. company. I, you're probably dealing with it nonstop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is no break. There's like a year break in between like when the cycle, the last sub cycle ends and the next sub cycle begins or the next cycle begins, but it's a rotating no, process. Every five years. Right. Yeah. And then you have what? 150 buildings. Yeah. So probably a third of your buildings are probably always exactly. in local some sort of state of local, local law, law and hell, and right? that's just one local law that we have to deal with. But you know, on the facade, that's really the one that we're concerned with from a safety probably perspective. The, the biggest, the biggest. Uh, do you do anything with the local law parking garage stuff? Um, so Manhattan is the first one that's up this year. Um, that's a new one, right? It's yeah, like local law one twenty seven or something like that, or it's. Yeah, so Manhattan was the first up, and then the other boroughs are going to be the next year. And I think it's every six years you have to do an, an inspection, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so, that one's six years, local laws five. Yeah, so so we're dealing with that now. Um, we're getting our ducks in a row for the outer boroughs, but Manhattan for us, we don't have that many buildings with parking garages in them, so we're saved. Um, but of yeah. the few that we do, we've arranged with the architects already to get that inspection rolling, and hopefully there's no structural issues. Um, the ones that do have the garages tend to be the newer buildings that we manage. So, I mean, unless something catastrophic is going on structurally, those should be all in good condition. Um, but as we go forward, you know, I think what we're going to see is in Queens and in Brooklyn, those are the areas where we've seen a lot of like 1950s, 1960s buildings that have a lot of water infiltration. They maybe, maybe they haven't done the replacement of the garage roof and water leaks lead to you know years. rebar issues and popping. So we're, we're going to hope that we don't see those. And we've covered a lot of those in prior work anyway, before this became a law. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I don't want to bore you with the garage stuff, but yes, that, that's definitely let something me, that's coming up. Let me ask you a question. All yeah. right. So from a guy sitting in your position, uh -huh. What's important to you from, or what, what, what do you look for in both the architect that you got to hire to do the inspections and to perform all the work, yeah. and then also the contractor side of things? Um, the, the one thing that we want to make sure from the architect is that, well, we work with so many different architects and we have relationships in different um you know, different boroughs with different architects that specialize in that type of work. Like we have architects that specialize in um, restorative architecture where, you know, maybe you have historical type of guy. Yeah. You know? Preservationist. Yeah. Um, okay. we, 
yeah. So like, depending on, just like you said, depending on what the building is going for with, are they a class A building? Or are they on billionaires row? That everybody has their different wants and needs. There are some buildings that would say to us, we don't really care if we maintain the look of the building so much as we do the safety of the building. And then there are buildings that say, we really care that we um, historically are accurate. Um, it might not be a landmark building per se, but they like to keep it so that it's got its original condition. You know, yeah. a lot of my issues that I've seen with um, rushing a job or having the wrong architect, and these aren't buildings necessarily that we manage, it's buildings that we took over. And I saw it's like, you look at all of the pointing that's been done over the last 15, 20 years, and it's like, you know, it's a quilt. It doesn't that. match. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, it's a quilt. Yeah. So having a company that's going to work with us and work with the client, work with the building um, to make sure that we're not only just inspecting it to make sure that it's safe, but also preserving the um, the feel of the building and the originality of the building, I think is really important. Um, the second thing with an architect is also who can we work with pretty well? Um, you know, I have architects where we have um, almost a dozen of these local 11 projects running right now. And then I have one where there's one, you know, so it's a lot easier for us to have, I don't want to say leverage or um, control over the situation, but I, I know that it's easier to work with the architect that has 12 projects rolling than it is one because we have a larger scope of responsibility together. We could sit down and we can nail down, you know, in one group meeting, we can go through every single project and be done with it, you know, and then move on to the next project mm -hmm. meeting that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so having somebody that definitely knows that they've worked with you before, it's a trust relationship moving forward and that they have the client's interest in mind, not only their financial interest, because mm -hmm. um, way too many times you'll have somebody that's an independent coming in and they're not really working with you the way that you need them to, whether that's budget wise, um, phasing. Money, grab, money grab for them, right? Yeah. Phasing is so important for us, especially with all these integrations of expanding the local law 11. I mean, you from cycle nine to cycle eight, we have so much more of a footprint that we have to look at. On yeah, the you got to do it every 60 feet now. You yeah. Know? And understanding that if we're going to go into like a swamp status, which is, you know, you know, safe with repair and maintenance program for those listening at home that don't really know much about local all 11. Um, but budgets are very important for building. So how much of this work can we do now versus later? Um, will it be cost effective at all to do it in phases? There's obviously, as you know, there's certain costs that we would maybe double up on like bridging and permits and yeah, all of that. Yeah, but yeah. if a building can't afford a $5 million renovation and they can only afford 2 million without going to bankrupt everybody, are we <laughs> legally permitted based on what the architect is reporting and seeing to spread that out over a few years so that we could at least build up our bank? On the contractor side, I think it's um, really looking at Trust is the first thing, knowing that they're not going to blindly try to increase their um, values, um, you know, in terms of how many, you know, prices are, well, the prices themselves are usually spec'd out on the proposal. It's a unit price. Um, where I don't like dealing with certain vendors is that they under undercut a price to get in there, and then they'll try to build it in with extras when they come in and now your budget is blown. So knowing that we have a vendor that we've used before that we can trust that we know won't um, put the building into a financial hardship more than it already is. Um, change orders are a 
kind of a factor that we look into too. We understand yeah. that there's going to be like a 10% overage, just that's what we should expect. Yeah. Um, but I've had su- certain vendors come in and they try to really ramp up the change orders. And that's why it's so important to have an architect on there that you trust. So it's like, you know, a big team. Um, so that, that's for us, the, the thing it's obvious, you know, working best practices, having the proper insurance, having the proper umbrella, and then working with the architect and the project manager or the managing agent to make sure that we're all on the same page of what we expect. And we don't want to get hit over the head with additional items and change orders, like really try to put everything that you can into, um, the bid process. And the, the, going back to the architect, the one thing that I really like about certain architects is that they'll put in a, an allowance over, you know, the project plus 10% as the allowance into the, the bids. So on a good day, you're coming down and you're getting credits instead of going the opposite yeah. way. You're being surprised and having to find that money. Yeah. So as you're saying this, I'm actually thinking of a local law 11 project that we're working on, on the upper West side, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm bidding out the, uh, all the access means and methods, right? Um, and everything's like pretty much fixed, right? And, you know, the sidewalk bridge, that's a fixed cost. You'll, you, you know, that's the guy comes out and measures. Yep. The, 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 the amount of bridging isn't going to change. So that cost is like fixed. That, that, that's not going to change, right? Yeah. The, um, um, the sidewalk bridging is going to change. So the suspended scaffolding. So, yeah. So the suspended scaffolding is, like kind of like an unsure thing right because yeah. we're not really sure they don't have a bmu so it's all going to be temporary scaffolding mm-hmm. so we're not sure as to how many relocations and how right. many moves we're going to make right right if i'm trying to price this together for the client and i'm trying to give it to them like like you said like with full transparency to say all right well listen these are the costs that i know are fixed this one over here buddy we don't know the engineer is going to have control of that. Yeah. I can provide a, uh, like, uh, I can provide an estimate, but to be yeah. honest, like I'm, I'm, I'm flying blind here, you know? Right. Um, and I think that just having those straight up conversations with him rather than be, rather than me saying, okay, well, Hey, your rigging is going to be 50 grand. Right. Just cause I want to get the job. But in reality, it might be 150 K, you know, right. but I think having that, conversation first and saying, listen, I really don't know what this cost is going to be. But what I will tell you is I will try to, uh, I will do my best to, you know, keep it tight. You yeah. Know? And as you said, it's, it's really up to the engineer. Um, the engineer can't file a report that's not complete. So if the engineer is telling you, you got to go to five more locations, I got to look over there now, but at least you could put a, a unit price, say, okay, every time I have to disassemble and assemble and drop and it, that's the cost. So they at least have an expectation of what the per drop cost would be. That's the only way that I can think of getting around that with an unknown is you, you know what the price is going to be for any incremental increase for it. So I could um, say, Hey, the total, the worst case scenario is there's, there's, there's 20, there's 20 relocations, yeah. absolute worst case. And that's if the engineer needs to inspect every single location at $5,000 a relocation, there's a hundred grand right there. You know? And every price is going up. I'm seeing it on the architect side. I'm seeing it on yeah. the vendor side. 
materials are going up, but not even that. If you take away the materials and whatever shortages there are in the world right now of construction materials and every other kind of material and goods and supplies, you have, as I noted before, and as you said, we have a lot more to look at on the building's facade. So I've seen prices jump up as much as 30 to 50% on the architects just over the last cycle too. So the, these are cascading numbers that are just going to be eating up budgets for buildings. And uh, I think more so now than ever, you have to look at it from a three to five year forward plan to say, okay, this is what we expect to pay on the next one around. Let's prepare three to five years earlier instead of trying to find the money. You know, Those are the things that management looks at making sure that you have the runway so that when this does come, we're not hitting a short-term assessment on everybody in the building. That's going to yeah, 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 yeah. literally right, right. kill everybody. <laughs> we need a million dollars in two months. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? There's only 24 apartments, you know, so, so you know, for a small uh, building, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Your HOA fees increasing uh, about $50,000 next month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so that's what we look for. Um, I think, you know, is the, the, the main benefit for us is to have contractors that we trust, um, based on past performance. And I always say we recommend a lot of different companies for a lot of different things. Um, but I always make that, you know, I have a little caveat saying that's based on past performance and anybody at any time could do a poor job, a one-off. I mean, that's life. That's human. You know, you're factoring the hum human scale into it. But in our experience, we haven't had a poor experience um, and hopefully we'll never have a poor experience. And hopefully you're not the test case for when that does happen. But um, I think just having open communication, um, you know, most contractors don't like to deal with individuals on the board or in the building because then there's too many people in there. You know, it's the architect, it's the, it's the property manager and it's the vendor. Like, let's all three of us work as a team together to get the project done quickly, do it right. And, you know, provide updates as we need to, to the client, but don't let the client necessarily have the ability to drive it day to day because then it gets a little bit muddy. Well, From, me, so I'll take your, I'll take your question and I'll go back the other side. So you, you asked me what I look for in a vendor or in an architect, what do you look for in a management company when you know that you have to deal with the management company because essentially they're paying your bills, they're scheduling access. Like what are the things that are important to you for somebody like me? pretty much the same thing like transparency you know you know what i mean um you know i don't what i um i recently had a situation to where like you know i i get it the building owner wants to save money right the building or the owner's rep or, or whoever the property management company wants to save money you're not doing yourself any favors by not being fully transparent with exactly what type of situations you're dealing with, because most likely your contractor is going to find out down the line, right? And then he's going to be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like this, 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 this. There's no way. Like, like we're dealing with an issue right now to where we jumped into a project, we're diving into the project, we've uncovered some stuff, and we're like, "There is no way that the uh, property management." didn't know about it, right mm -hmm. and what it came down to is they were like well maybe let's not tell the guy because we're trying to save some money but yeah. now now we're now we're in an uncomfortable situation for on both sides because we're already you know we're already into this thing and we're like 
all right, well, you know, now we have an issue. We're pretty sure you knew about this. Yeah. You know what you, you, why you didn't tell us, I don't know. I can only assume it's because you didn't want to pay for it, but here and, it is. But now you're the bad guy. Cause you brought it, it up it, and it, now it, it's it, an expense. Yeah. 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 It didn't go away. You know, like it's just cause you don't talk about it. Doesn't mean it's not there, you know? Yeah. So I think that, um, I, one, I think a good architect, you know, and, and, and to me, is because because I can't really do much from a local law 11 standpoint without the architect's direction. You know, right. he's literally the architect's literally big brother on this whole on this whole thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's important that I've seen architects work with members from my team and they're like, all right, we'll just just do it. Right. And we're like, OK, <laughs> you know, <laughs> versus the architect that. Um, I know Harani has some really good guys over there that like really take, they've taken the time to like really explain to our guys the functionality of why they want us to do something a certain way, but then also explaining why they want us to do it that certain way, because yeah. by installing whatever the rebar or getting the epoxy coated rebar and you know, you know, you take the, you have to cut it, you got to spray the, like the little end with the epoxy paint, you know, but for somebody to take the time and to explain that to you, like, Hey, listen, you gotta, you know, you gotta spray that down. So it doesn't rust so that in five years from now, we're not repairing the same issue. Then yeah. we're like, okay, I can get behind that. That makes sense. You know? Um, yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like you, you've, got a lot going on and you've been in business since 2009 right yeah 2009 2010 yeah. uh primarily started out with window cleaning but then we've expanded we've brought on um you know you say jack of all trades master of none i take a different approach to that of like we get you know we have we have like a mason guy who just runs his like little squad of masons and those guys just stay in their lane. We have a glazing team, we have a roofing team, you know, and what we do is we combine all these teams together to where, if, whether it's a masonry project, whether it's a painting project, whether it's a window project, you know, it all comes back to the access. The access is like the common factor, right? So yeah. we have the access and then we bring in, we, we, we carefully select the, uh, the teams that we're gonna bring in to work with us to get whatever project done. All right, good. Well, hopefully we could get to work together at some point. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah, got yeah. a lot of stuff uh, going on in, in our you portfolio. Got, yeah. I'm sorry? Whatever you got, let me know. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll head over there. I will. So yeah, I'm going to put all your content. Hmm? Uh, drones, drones. Oh, yeah. You know, Is while it? we were thinking about, while we were talking about the local 11 inspections, I almost had a, a vision of the drones. What's your, What There's, are you seeing? I'm seeing that drones are not approved yet in New York. And I think that they should be. I think that I could do a local law 11 inspection with a drone um, with some of the technology out there at a fraction, like, like, like forget hanging off the building, forget yeah. rope access, forget dragging a lift out there. You know, I think running a drone around the building, I don't know who needs to litigate that, but I mean, there's it's probably a lot deeper, you know. I mean, how are you going to fly a drone around, you know, Madison Ave, and you know, then right. the drone falls out of the sky and kills five people? I mean, yeah, yeah that's the, that's the first problem. accident, you're done. Yeah, 
(laughs) (laughs) so we'll keep a watch on that because that actually is very interesting and there's a lot of i know even for photography it's almost impossible to you know to fly a drone in the city it's above me as to you know that decision being made or whatever the case may be but you know it's um yeah but well, you know what when it comes when it when it becomes legal we'll have you back and we'll talk about what you're doing yeah, <laughs> but yeah we're, 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 we're in so i'm gonna put all of your contact info in the description Please. of the podcast um your phone number is uh 732-997-8138 um, but you guys are located in Edison, New Jersey, and you do yep. most of your work in the city. Primarily all of our work in New York. Um, we do a few things and uh, we're doing a uh, 99 Hudson, which is the tallest building in Jersey city right mm-hmm. now. And then we have the, uh, we do a lot of work down at the hard rock casino down in Atlantic city. So that's like our like little, like South Jersey redheaded, uh, step cool. account down there. You know? Well, hopefully you'll get a house down by the shore and then you can just check up on. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Margate is, is calling you. Um, yeah. well, I appreciate you coming on. I, I had a really, uh, good time talking fun. to you Yeah, and hopefully we get to work together in, in the real world. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All awesome. Right. Thanks. Talk to you next time.